Welcome to Crossed Over, the show where you hear stories of people who have been transformed by Jesus Christ, who have truly crossed over from death to life. Well, welcome to Crossed Over. We have another episode today, and thank you for taking the time to listen to the show or to tune in and watch it on YouTube or Rumble or Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm excited about today's show. Of course, I say that every episode because uh, I get to choose who's on the show. And uh, we have a wonderful guest today I'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, if you're new to Crossover, uh, I want to tell you why I have this show. And uh, if you uh, have watched other episodes, you'll have to bear with me. The inspiration uh, for this show, Crossover, comes from the Bible, what I consider God's word, verse John 5, 24, where Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. You can go back through this show, every guest that I've had on, starting with my own story at episode one, um, is a testimony, is a time that we on the show share how Jesus has really changed our life um, completely. And uh, today's show will be no different. Uh, today, our guest on the show is none other than Hank Parker. And uh, for those of you that um, may have an involvement or a love for fishing in the outdoors, Hank needs no introduction. Since the 1970s, Hank has been known as one of America's greatest bass fishermen. And I'm reading some of this from his bio. I love the quote that he had on there, uh, Brian Gumble who was a former host of the CBS Morning Show, introduced Hank Parker as the rod and reels answer to Michael Jordan in talent and popularity. I love that. So if you're a fisherman or an outdoorsman, you know who Hank Parker is. He has too many accolades and accomplishments and awards really for me to share in this show, uh, but you can find out so many things about him online. But you got to know Hank Parker, when it comes to fishing in the outdoors, uh, is the real deal. Over his years as an outdoorsman, He's been honored and inducted in the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, the Legends of the Outdoors Hall of Fame, the International Game Fish Association Hall of Fame. But I'll say this, even with all of his awards and successes, he's still a man, when you talk to him, who's serious about his family and serious about his Christian faith. And I know that's important to him, and that's why we have him on this show today. Hank was a guest of our church here at First Baptist in Kings Mountain, many years ago when he was the featured speaker at a men's event uh, here that we hosted back in the day. I have a personal connection with Hank really through his daughter, Amy. She and her family are members of our church, and I've known Amy and her family, dear friends of mine, for years and years. And uh, for those of you that have watched Crossover, Amy was a previous guest not too long ago on our show. And if you've not seen her show, her episode, you need to go back and check it out. Well, it's an honor to have Hank on the show. Without further ado, I'm going to bring him in. Hank Parker, welcome to Crossover. Hey, Jeff. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, so glad that you've taken the time today. I know, uh, as with everybody, schedules are busy, but I love technology that allows you to be at home and me to be here uh, where I work, and we can have you on the show. So welcome to the show. Great to be here, and I love your logo. I think that crossover, that's the neatest thing I've ever seen. you got the bridge and the cross, and it, it just comes together. It's, it's really awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, I don't want to take too much credit for that. I, it didn't really take me too much time on Photoshop to, in my in my little mind to kind of think, well, I, when I think of crossover, I think of a bridge, and I think uh, we've designed the logo for that very reason. So thank you for being the first guest to comment about our logo. Hey, it's awesome. I, it really touches me. And that, that cross is the way to get over. <laughs> That's good. Yep. You know it. You know it. Well, Hank, as I shared before the show, we started the, uh, recently in some of our episodes uh, doing something called Five Questions. And you've not been prompted. And as you told me, you're good at shooting from the hip. <laughs> So uh, we're going to do that. So let's get in. I've got five questions for you, and it's really just going to break the ice for our time today. Uh, so here we go. What is your favorite kind of music? If you, if you were to listen to some music, what's your favorite kind of music? Southern gospel. <laughs> Southern gospel. Now, now, don't be offended. Don't be offended, Hank, that that's not really my favorite. 
but but we'll accept that answer. It's okay. The Bible says when I was a child, I spake as a child, but as I got older, I gave up childish things. So that's okay. You okay, okay. I like it. I like it. Well, I'll, I'm, I'm vocal band. You'll, you'll be okay. I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that sit right there. We're going to move on to number, <laughs> number two. Uh, are you a coffee drinker? Yes or no? I'm not really a coffee drinker. I drink a cup occasionally, but no, not really a coffee drinker. Okay. Okay. Well, the rest of the answer, a lot of my guests have different varied answers on, uh, on their preference for coffee, black, cream and sugar. Um, friends of mine criticize that the coffee I drink is more like dessert, uh, than anything else. So well, when I drink it, that's where I'm at. I like a lot okay. of cream and sugar. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, okay. This may get in, and you may, surely you know the answer to this question. How old were you when you caught your first fish? You know, I was somewhere between three and four years old. My grandfather lived in Georgia, and we'd go down and visit them, and, and he, took me, uh, he took me fishing when I was three or four. Okay. That is young. That is very young. And uh, I guess that started a lifelong love for fishing in the outdoors for you. I hadn't got over it yet. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to pause there. I, I, was, I told my wife and a few others, I said, I hope Hank doesn't uh, cut off the interview and turn off his computer if I tell him that fishing is not really my favorite, one of my favorite pastimes. So hopefully you won't think too less of me for uh, no, I, I'm good with that. We got too many fishermen. The water's getting kind of crowded, so that's good. I, okay. I, we don't need everybody out there. Well, I I, I do say that uh, I, I wish, as a kid, I loved sports more, and the thought of just sitting there casting a rod and reel was, um, I guess, it bored me. But looking back, I think now I would love a little peace and quiet, being out fishing and enjoying the outdoors. So, all right, let's move on. Well, you're never too old. I will tell you that you're never too old to start. So, uh, well, maybe well, maybe one maybe one day the, the Lord will see fit to allow us to. You can teach me a little bit and take me fishing one day. Well, that'd be great. That would be fun. Very good. Okay, make a choice. This may be hard. Um, this is kind of two part. Let me finish. When I make a choice, mountains or the beach, and maybe I'll rephrase the question: freshwater lake or saltwater ocean. <laughs> What do you choose? That's a hard choice. I love them both. So I would say the beach. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Last question for you. This may be difficult for you to answer. Who is your favorite grandchild? Okay. <laughs> don't, don't answer that question. Your one of your grandchildren, Sarah Beth, I've known for years and years. I'm sure she would say she's the favorite. But um, don't answer that question. You have. Well, it, I, let me answer. It is a dead tie between fifteen. <laughs> fifteen. You are blessed to be grand of grandfather to fifteen grandchildren. Unbelievable! It's so awesome. <laughs> it, now I will say this: Is it as good as they say it is? Oh, it's better. You can't even describe how wonderful it is. Grandkids are the bomb. I seem to hear that from every one of my friends. I'm getting closer. I'm pushing fifty. And much I've got my my second daughter's headed off to college. I'm not rushing the grandchildren, but I can <laughs> I can see it coming in the in the not too distant future, and I look forward to that day. So very good. Well, Hank, we're we're really not here, and not, nothing against talking about um, you know coffee and things that really don't matter. And uh, but let's move on to really why we have you on the show. Um, let's start our meaningful conversation to say uh, share with with those that are watching or tuning in and listening to the show take us back you said that fishing started when you were young but tell us a little bit more about hank parker your childhood years what were some of the experiences your personal life your parents family you know fill us in a little bit on on the person that's hank parker give us some context to to your life. My dad, uh, my dad was from McCray, Georgia, and was in the army, uh, had been deployed overseas. Uh, that was right in the heat of World War II. And uh, he came back to North Carolina after deployment to Germany to uh, 
to finish his uh, military responsibilities and met my mom. And uh, she was from a little town made in North Carolina, and that's, that's where we settled down. Uh, uh, they got married and had uh, an older uh, sibling, my brother David, and uh, then uh, had a younger sister, Janine. But as a kid, uh, it was just, I don't know, I idolized my dad. My dad was, uh, uh, only had a fifth grade education, but he was the smartest guy I ever knew. I mean, he could do anything. He could, uh, he could fabricate a part if you had a, a rod and reel that was broken. He could fix the reel by fabricating a part. I mean, it just unbelievable what he could do. And just cool to hang out with your dad. And my brother was left-handed. He loved to throw a baseball. So my dad had two jobs and uh, he would uh, fabricate sheet metal in the daytime for my grandfather. And then uh, he would fix televisions at night. So we would uh, throw the baseball in the yard between his two jobs. And uh, then on Saturdays, if it were spring or summer, we'd go fishing. If it were fall or winter, we would go hunting. And, and it was just the coolest thing in the world to get to go hunting and fishing with your, with your dad and a uh, big part of our life. So uh, how did you grow up um, and stay in Maiden, North Carolina for the majority of your time growing up? I did. Uh, I went to Maiden High, Maiden Elementary. Uh, I hung out in Maiden until I was about uh, 18 years old. I left Maiden and uh, I go back from time to time. My brother still lives there, and uh, my sister's not far from there, so uh, uh, still have a lot of ties, got a lot of family in the big city of Maiden, but it was a cool place, and it's kind of like Mayberry. Uh, uh, growing up in Mayberry, I would think, if you watched the Andy Griffith show, uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. My dad, uh, he loved to fish and, and he loved to hunt and uh, my grandfather uh, that was a part of his heritage uh, my dad had a vice uh, he, he liked to drink a cold beer after he got off of his fabricating job before he worked on televisions and so as time went on we started young I was probably four years old five years old I remember uh, hanging out in the front yard throwing the baseball and going hunting and fishing and uh, probably in that five-year period of time between five and ten years old uh, my dad uh, became an alcoholic that cold beer led to multiple cold beers and then eventually to uh, to hard liquor and my dad was totally controlled by alcohol you know the world likes to term it uh, alcoholic but truthfully, my dad was a drunk and uh, it, it controlled and changed his life. I mean, he became a different person. He, uh, he didn't really uh, throw the baseball with us much anymore and hunting and fishing on the weekends was out. Uh, he, he would tell us during the week sometimes, hey, we're gonna go fishing uh, Saturday or we're gonna go hunting Saturday. But if he came home at all on Friday night, uh, he would be passed out drunk on the couch on Saturday morning. So uh, hunting and fishing kind of ended. So our life became really chaotic. You know, Forrest Gump said life is like a box of chocolate, but a drunk is truly like a box of chocolates. I mean, you don't have a clue what you're going to get. Uh, if he comes home at all, uh, he could be happy, he could be sad, he could be mean, he could be violent. There's just a lot of chaos involved in uh, living with a person that is controlled by alcohol. And that became our life. So by the time I was 10 years old, I lived in a pretty chaotic environment. <laughs> how, how old were you when you really, I mean, I guess this, this is going off script a little bit. How? How, when you really, did it take some years later when you really saw the impact on that? But how did you, through those years when, uh, really formative years, I guess as a kid, when did you really sense the impact on you personally? Well, you know, you grow up quick uh, when you're in that environment. Uh, you, you know what it's like to be hungry. You know what it's like to see your mom and dad fight. You know what it's like to see your dad hit your mom. 
life becomes uh, an education that uh, is not on a gradual scale. It, it hits you pretty hard. And so you grow up pretty quick. And uh, I realized real fast, uh, we lived in a very small community where I had a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and my grandparents uh, on my mom's side. And uh, so it didn't, it, it didn't take much to realize you were out of sync with the rest of the community and the rest of the family. Uh, everybody else had family time. They had bicycles. They had all kinds of, of toys and things that, you know, kids like to have. And we didn't have any of that. Uh, it, we were, my dad was talked about. And uh, it was frustrating to go through all that, but you realize that uh, I realized that at eight, nine years old, mm. uh, I was ashamed of, uh, of our environment. I was ashamed of our lifestyle. My dad spent everything on alcohol, you know, and so we didn't have very much. And we were by far the poorest of, uh, of our entire family with my mom's sisters and brothers and all the siblings that she had, my aunts and uncles and my cousins. So we were kind of at the, not kind of, we were at the absolute bottom of the pole. Hmm. Well, so, so going through the teen years, you know, what, what was your, uh, how did you cope with that? I mean, what were, did you, I mean, did you personally continue into fishing or social? I mean, what were some of the things that, you know, a lot of people that go through that kind of have an escape? I've talked to lots of people, even myself, some of my background story. You kind of have to find something else to kind of I guess, take your focus or really be your, you know, devotion. What was it for you? You know, I became very rebellious and uh, I was dyslexic and and in school, they didn't even know and in the little town of Maiden where I lived in the, in the 60s, uh, what dyslexia was. And so nobody identified that at all. So academically, I struggled, man, I, I couldn't read. And uh, the harder I tried to read, the more I would see things backwards and the more difficult it would be. So I was a failure at school. Uh, my parents were always fighting our environment was chaotic and uh, it was an escape for me just to be a bad guy. Uh, I, I would get into everything. I was very, very angry and rebellious. I didn't think it was fair. Uh, I didn't know how life was fair that my cousins would have all of this and their dads wasn't a drunk. Uh, their, their mom and dad didn't fight and it, they had all this stuff and we had nothing. And uh, I remember one year, my brother and I, we were so embarrassed that we didn't get anything for Christmas that we lied. We made up all these stories uh, about what we got. We didn't get anything. And uh, you, you learn uh, to, um, to live in a tunnel. You, uh, you lie to yourself and uh, you pretend you pretend things are better than they are, and you pretend things are different than they are. And uh, a lot of times you just don't want to deal with it. And anger, uh, it becomes a main emotion for me. Anger was uh, uh, what I settled on. Man, I was a bad dude. Hey, my dad might be a drunk and we may not have any money and I may not have a bicycle, but I can beat you up. Uh, I can terrorize you. I, I can uh, uh, I can take a punch. I can do this. I can do that. So you find yourself uh, gravitating toward the only thing you have. And I was always big in stature. Physically, I was bigger than all my classmates. So that's all I had going for me. So that's what I relied on was um, my physical strength. And I was bigger than you and I could beat you up. And that's all I had. So I kind of built on that. And uh, uh, it fit where I was mentally because I was so angry and frustrated. And that was a way to relieve some frustration by getting into fights and doing things. And then I didn't have anything, so I'd steal. I'd steal anything that wasn't tied down. Uh, 
Uh, I'd steal from anybody. I steal from my uncle. He had a grocery store. I'd go up there and steal stuff from him all the time. And I was just about as bad a kid as you could ever imagine. And I was about as confused and frustrated uh, with life as you could be. You know, I'm the kind of kid that uh, a lot of statistics you'd look and uh, a prime candidate for suicide, you know, just everything was overwhelming. There just didn't seem to be any light at the tunnel. So what age, um, when, when did you uh, get out of Dodge, so to speak? When did you, um, you know, was it when you finished high school? Did you just, did you just leave? I did not work? finish high school. I, uh, I quit high school uh, in the 10th grade, and then okay. I went back in the 11th grade and uh, went for maybe most of the year and got down to about the end of the year and quit again. Uh, I really had a tough time. I had a I had an eleventh grade uh, teacher. We were segregated most of my school life, and in 1968 we integrated. And uh, about 1969 or so, we had a uh, I had an English teacher, Miss Pope, a black lady, and uh, she uh, she asked me one day to stay after school. And uh, she said to me, she said, I want to ask you a few questions. And she took my test paper unbeknownst to me at the time. And she asked me a few questions and I answered them correctly. And uh, she said, uh, why did you not answer that on your test? And of course, I'm the bad guy. And rather than be embarrassed, I would rather be uh, disobedient disrespectful but for some reason miss pope was an unusual lady with a great way of communicating and somehow i knew she cared uh which was odd because normally i've got such a front i don't pay attention to much of that but i could tell she cared and so i didn't i didn't cut up and get myself in trouble and and curse her out or do something that would make her run me off but i was very uncomfortable with the questions that she was leading to and uh i i don't know exactly what i said to her but she said to me do you know that you just answered these questions correctly but you got every one of them wrong on your test paper i don't think you can read well now nobody knew i couldn't read i'd put that front on uh for a long time and uh no one knew that I couldn't read. And if I got myself in a situation in the class where a teacher would ask me to read out loud, I would cut up to the point she would throw me out of the class and send me to the principal's office. But now I was kind of backed in a corner with Miss Pope and I didn't have any place to run. So I naturally, I lied. I'm, I'm really, really good at lying. So uh, I said, oh yeah, I can read. Uh, I just, uh, I don't know. I just wasn't paying attention. She said, no, I don't think you were not paying attention. I think you can't read. And uh, so uh, she said, I want you to ask, I, I want to ask you to read this right here. And she set it down in front of me. And she said, how about read this for me? And I said, I don't read in public. She said, you're right. You don't read in public. And you don't read in private either because you can't read. And it was a big turning point in my life. And first person that ever gave me any confidence that I had any intelligence at all. She stopped and turned her face to mine. And she said, I want you to look at me. I read your files and not one of your teachers have ever mentioned the fact that they suspect you cannot read. You have pulled this off. And to do that, you've had to be really smart. There's something wrong as to why you can't read. And she didn't understand dyslexia either. But uh, she said, there's something wrong. And you didn't learn the foundation of phonics. You didn't learn how to read. And for you to pull that off, you gotta be smart. So it was the first time ever any teacher in school had ever indicated that, uh, that I had any kind of intelligence at all. <laughs> it was well-deserved that I, I didn't get those acclimates because I, I really, I didn't, try very hard and I was so embarrassed by it 
uh, I wouldn't admit it to anybody. So all this was built up inside of me. I was ashamed of my parents. I was ashamed of my environment. I was ashamed of the fact, and I really felt stupid. My mother would have me read, and I don't want to make my mom look bad, but my mother would have me read something, and she would read it to me. And with dyslexia, you see everything backward. It, it, it absolutely turns around. And it seemed to me the harder I would try, the more backwards the words became. So I couldn't read them. And my mom would read them to me, and then she would ask me to read them back. And if I would memorize what she said, I could say them back. But she said, no, no, read that back to me. And I would try to read that back to her. And uh, she would say, you got to be the dumbest guy. Uh, I mean, you've got to be stupid not to be able. I just read that to you. And so it was, I believe that I, I was really a dumb guy and there was no hope for me. And then when Miss Pope, only teacher had ever told me that, only person in my life that had ever told me that I was smart <laughs> was my uh, 10th or 11th grade uh, history teacher or English teacher, uh, Miss Pope. Wow, I I love you sharing that story because I have a lot of friends who are teachers and I I think teachers are some of the most amazing people anyway, but uh, to take the time to really, I don't know, to, to go beyond the norm and, and want to find a solution and help you out. I know that that was meaningful to you, even so many years later for you to know her by name and still reference how meaningful that was for you. Well, what what uh, what happened next? I mean, to your your late teens, you know what 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 happened over the next few years? For, for I was pretty life? devastated about the discovery, uh, and instead of being encouraged and really digging in and trying to learn how to read in school, uh, I just left. I just walked away from it and decided that. Uh, I'd, uh, I'd go on down the road, and uh, by this time, the Beatles and all the rock age had come in the, into uh, full effect, and uh, I started smoking pot and growing my hair long, and I found acceptance. Uh, in the hippie world, uh, it seemed to be a, a barrier breaker. If you had long hair, you were part of the brotherhood, uh, whether you were smart or it didn't really matter what your background was. All you had to do to fit into the brotherhood is uh, uh, grow your hair long and smoke pot and uh, everybody accepted you. So I became a hip guy. I fit into the, to the whole hippie world and uh, that became my new identity. And uh, I didn't have to be a bad guy anymore. I, I'd already gotten beaten up enough that uh, fighting really didn't appeal to me as much as it used to. I'd had some pretty rough experiences and came out on the bottom end on a lot of different occasions. So now we're in the free love. We're into the rock and roll. We're into the smoking dope and peace. Everything was about peace. And so I fit right in. That became my new identity. And man, I like that world. So I was somebody, you know, I had long blonde hair and uh, I, uh, I streetwise, you know, I'd stole all my life. I, I'm pretty good at reading people and situations. So I was pretty good at finding pot and uh, being able to, to uh, share that. And so I was, a, I was a hip guy. I was a popular guy all of a sudden. Never been popular my whole life, but all of a sudden, uh, I became a popular guy in the in the hippie world of uh, the the mid to late '60s. <laughs> were you uh, were you just kind of riding that trail and going from place to place? Were you working? Were you still living in Maiden? Where where were you? Yeah, I did. I uh, I got a job. Uh, had a uh, guy in, in Newton, North Carolina, that gave me a job delivering flowers and. Uh, working in the greenhouse at a florist and uh, learning a little bit about agriculture and horticulture. And uh, he, he was teaching me uh, uh, a lot. And for whatever reason, he liked me and uh, Mr. Coley. And uh, he, uh, he gave me a great opportunity and I would work for him. And uh, uh, 
then I'd party on the weekends. And as time kind of went on, uh, I met a girl in Charlotte and uh, her parents lived on the lake. And uh, we would go sometime to the lake on the weekend and I, I picked up that fishing rod and it took me back uh, to, to the peace and, and uh, tranquility and the love and the passion that I had discovered as a kid when I'd watch that bobber go under. And now I'm throwing a plastic worm or a spinnerbait and I'm catching bass and I just went all crazy over fishing. Uh, fishing became the drive in my life. And uh, uh, as my relationship with my girlfriend progressed, also my love for fishing progressed. So I, uh, I pretty much didn't have time to party and smoke dope and do all the things that I'd been doing. Man, I wanted to go fishing all the time and I wanted to have a clear head uh, in order to go fishing. So I, man, I started buying every little lure, and packing them in my tackle box. And, and I got so excited about fishing that the rest of the world that didn't, that had appealed to me had lost its charm. I didn't, uh, I didn't care anything about partying and smoking dope, man. I just wanted to go fishing. And, uh, that's kind of where I found myself. And I had an aunt give me a subscription to Bassmaster magazine. And I didn't know anything at all about uh, professional tournaments and people making a living bass fishing. And so I read that and I thought, that is me. Uh, that, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a professional bass fisherman. So uh, that became my goal in life. <laughs> You know, I guess gr growing up, that's not one of those things they, they tell, hey, grow up to be a, a professional bass fisherman. And uh, <laughs> you kind of stumbled into that, discovered that, and obviously saw a lot of success. Well, Hank, let me ask you this question. Um, I know different people we've had on the show, when they talk about their childhood, and of course everyone's you know, a little different, you know, the influence of mom and dad. Some people grew up in church. Some people did not grow up in church. So where, I mean, was, was God and spirituality, church, Jesus, was any of that as a kid into your teen years? Was that, were you exposed to any of that? We did. We went to church when I was a little kid. We went to a church that uh, was more of a social uh, mm -hmm. type church. Uh, they, they didn't really uh, stress the gospel. They didn't ever really... Uh, insinuate that anyone was lost, that you needed to be uh, connected to the vine. Uh, there was no crossover uh, theology. It was uh, be a good boy and go through catechism and understand the word. And that, that was kind of the take that I got, at least. I, I didn't know anything at all about the gospel. Uh, I never heard any, the gospel ever. Uh, while all this was going on, I was about uh, 17 years old. Uh, and my dad, uh, my grandfather would send my dad to all these rehabilitation facilities to, to fight alcohol and to break the chain of alcoholism. And uh, my dad would go and stay gone and come home and be home just a few days and he would be drunk again. It didn't seem to work. Uh, so I remember one day my grandfather said, uh, uh, you know, Mo Parker, my dad's name was Mo. Uh, Mo's a drunk. Mo Parker's going to live a drunk. And Mo Parker's going to die a drunk. Mo Parker is impossible. And I, 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 I agreed with that. I, I didn't see any hope at all from my dad. Well, while I was involved in all this, my mom and dad separated. My mom left and uh, I, I, I was with my dad there in our little home in Maiden and it was a pathetic place to be, but nevertheless, uh, I love my dad regardless of what he had done and the times he had fought and hit me and abused me. And he was pretty abusive at times. And I wasn't a, I wasn't a very good kid either. I mean, I'd hit him back and I would provoke his anger. So 
I probably deserved most of the fights that my dad and I got in. It was probably as much my fault as it was his. But uh, I was there with him one Saturday morning, and a guy came by to visit my dad. And uh, he saw that I was there, and he said, Mo, I came by to visit with you, and I just uh, I wanted to talk to you, but I don't want to interrupt uh, Father-Son Day. I see you got Hank here with you, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you. But, Mo, I want to leave you with a thought. Uh, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? And I heard my dad say later that that thought bothered him. It bothered him. He had already drank about a half a bottle of liquor that Saturday morning. And he finished that bottle and opened another bottle and couldn't get drunk enough to get that thought off his mind. And so the next morning was Sunday morning. Uh, we didn't have a car. We didn't have anything. And, of course, my dad had, had multiple DUIs. He didn't have a driver's license. So he called the same man and asked for a ride to church that next morning, which was Sunday. And he left our home about 1030 uh, Sunday morning, came back about 1.30 or 2 o'clock. He left a drunk, and he came back a saint. Uh, he came back. I mean, he had crossed over. I mean, it, it was... I didn't understand it. I, I didn't exactly know what was happening, but I could tell there was something dramatically different with my dad than anything he had ever gone through before. Now, I didn't really have a lot of confidence it was going to last, but for the moment, my dad was different. And, and I recognized that right off the bat. And, uh, he told me, he said, son, I got saved. Well, I had no clue what that meant. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, my dad found religion. Uh, didn't know what that meant. Uh, didn't have a clue that it would last. But for this very moment, I could tell my dad was different. Well, as time went on, uh, my mom came home, my brother, my sister, uh, my dad got driver's license. He got a car. He got a job. My dad was different. Salvation was real. Uh, this Jesus thing was a life changer. Uh, it took what my grandfather said about my dad impossible. And I read in Steve Gaines' Morning Manna once that if you take the word impossible and you put an H in front of it, it becomes impossible. And uh, he changed my dad. And there was no denying that. Uh, there, there absolutely was no way I could deny that my dad had an experience with Jesus Christ that totally did a 180 in his life and changed him. And then my dad wanted to talk about where am I going to spend eternity? Well, I didn't really want to hear that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a professional bass fisherman and I'm a victim. You know, I've gone through all this uh, alcohol and all this abuse and I didn't ask for that and I didn't deserve it. So I'm a victim. So leave me alone. Don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. Uh, God understands that I've been abused and I've gone through all this stuff. So I'm going to be OK. Leave me alone and let me go fishing. And um, I am so thankful for a dad that cared a lot more about my soul than my career. Uh, my dad would not let up. <laughs> he, he wanted me to get saved more than life itself. And he would witness to me and my brother. My brother was just as rebellious in a different way than me. My brother was an academic achiever and he was a lot smarter than me. But uh, uh, my dad wouldn't let up. I mean, he would not let up. And so he would constantly uh, take the Bible. And I appreciate that more today than I did then, how smart my dad was not to argue with me or my brother. Uh, he, would, uh, he would answer our questions with the Bible. And he would ask me questions like, well, why do you think you're okay? Well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy and I'm getting better. I've quit smoking dope and I've quit stealing and I, I've been a victim and I'm doing better. And he would quote to me, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And so he would explain, he said, son, you can do all you want to to get better. It's not about being better. You see, we're lost. We're all lost. Uh, uh, Romans uh, uh, 3.10 says that, that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And none righteous would have to include you. All would have to include you. And so we're depraved by nature. We're sinful. And you're no different than anybody else. You're sinful. It doesn't matter if you're a victim. It doesn't matter what you are. You are lost without hope unless you turn your life over to Jesus, just like I did. Whether you're a drunk or whether you're a pothead or whatever you are, it doesn't matter. You can be a good guy. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 clearly shows it is not by your works. It is the grace of God. It's faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And he said, if you look at Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So you've got to connect to Jesus Christ. Boy, I didn't want to hear that. Uh, that I wanted to make out like I was okay. And uh, I didn't have a rebuttal. It, it was hard. I said, Dad, you know, you're trying to make this thing too black and white. You see, I wasn't a drunk. I didn't need this big dramatic salvation experience like you did. I've overcome my addictions. I've overcome my wild times. I'm going to be a professional fisherman. I, I'm not stealing. I'm not smoking dope. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not where you are. I'm not for God, but I'm not against God. He said, well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. It says, he that is not with me is against me. Well, I didn't have a rebuttal for that. I, I, I said, well, I just don't believe that. He said, well, I thought you said you believed the Bible. I said, well, I don't believe that part. He said, okay, well, look at, look at Romans 3.3. 3. It says, for what if some do not believe? Will that make the faithfulness of God without effect? God forbid. Let God be true and all men a liar. I had no further rebuttal. All I could do is run. Right back in that same pit that I've always been in, make believe. I'm going to make believe things are different than they are. I'm going to make believe that I'm okay. And I, I don't want to deal with it. It's not fair that I have to deal with it. It's not fair that I have to give up fishing uh, to be like my dad. It's not fair. So I don't want to deal with that. So I ran and I ran and I ran. And I would never have conversation with my dad. Uh, I, I didn't want to deal with it because I could not answer him. I, I did not have defense. And the Holy Spirit is real. The word of God is alive. And when he would read me scripture, it would just absolutely cut me in two. And I didn't have a comeback. And it made me so uncomfortable. It made me realize that I'm going to hell if I don't accept Jesus and I don't want to be at that point in my life. So I'd just run. He would send people from his church to come talk to me. And if I saw them in time, I'd go out the back door and down through the woods. If they made it in the house before I saw them, I'd go out in my bedroom window and down through the woods. I could not deal with it, man. I did not want to hear the gospel. And I would travel. I was fishing at that time and I was starting to fish professionally. I'd be in a hotel somewhere putting my socks on. I'd think, what is in my sock? And it'd be a gospel track. My dad put gospel tracks any place you could imagine, just hoping I'd find them. And I'd read them, God's simple plan of salvation. <laughs> and so I ran and I couldn't deal with it. I would not have any more conversation with my dad. It was all through gospel tracts. And then uh, my dad got saved in 1970. And in 1975, he went with a group of men to Kansas to build a, a youth home over the 4th of July holidays for a church up there. And uh, he and his pastor, in the five years my dad had been saved, he and his pastor were best friends. And my dad was different on that trip. And his pastor said to him uh, that night, they roomed together being best buddies. And he said, Mo, 
what is wrong with you? I've never seen you in this kind of mood in my life. He said, Pastor, I'm more burdened for my boys than I've ever been. They're lost. David's got a motorcycle. He's flying up and down the highway. Hank's got a bass boat that the motor's bigger than the boat, and he's flying up and down the lakes. Uh, they're both one banana peel from hell. And he said, the thought of my boys going to hell is more than I can bear. And he said, well, Brother Mo, his pastor, Brother Mo will just have to keep praying that the Holy Spirit will break their heart. And they'll come to the point that they realize their need and uh, boys will get saved. And the last thing my dad said to his preacher that night before they turned out the light was, you know, pastor, I'd give my life for my boys to be saved. Well, they finished their work there and uh, loaded up to come home. Six men in a van, the pastor flew home. Uh, six men loaded up, started back, and somewhere around Louisville, Kentucky, they had an accident. Five men were fine, one man was dead, and that was my dad. They sent his Bible back to his pastor who had flown home from Kansas, and um, the day before the funeral, he was kind of reminiscing through my dad's Bible, uh, looking in the margins, some notes that my dad had written on some of the sermons that preached, and just thinking about his buddy, my dad, and he found a note, and the note said, Brother Grady, if you find this note before I'm buried, I have one final request, and that is you don't have a traditional funeral for me that you preach the gospel. I have two boys that are lost. It may be the last time this side of eternity that they hear the gospel, and I'm going to tell you, my dad would, uh, would use uh, Matthew 16, 26 a lot. Uh, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And uh, the pastor, that day at my dad's funeral, started going over the same scriptures that my dad had used. And I, I was the most sober I've ever been. You know, you think about, I look back at my life and I think about, here I am, a high school dropout. I had nothing cocky kid, but I was way too proud to accept Jesus. I was way too proud that I needed Jesus. How I, I don't know where that came from, but it was true. I, I was just too proud. But I wasn't very proud that day. I, I, I was pretty sober. Uh, there's nothing more real than somebody you love in a casket. And you know they're not coming back. And so I was ready to listen, and uh, the gospel cut my heart. And my dad used to tell me, and it make me mad at the time. He'd say, son, I'm as sure for heaven as if I'm already there. And I said, dad, you can't know that. Nobody knows that. You'll have to wait till the judgment. He said, oh, no, son, you don't know your Bible. 1 John 5, 12 and 13 says, he that has the Son of God has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. And by the way, that'd be you, Hank. Uh, these things have I written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life and you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. He said, son, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Boy, the preacher started reading that scripture. And uh, that uh, Matthew 16, 26 my dad would always say, son, what would it profit you if you gained uh, the whole world, if you won every bath tournament, if you won them all, and you had all the money in the world, and you died and went to hell, what would you gain? That was the most sobering thought. That was the reality check of my life. What is it all worth if you're going to spend eternity in hell? And the reality of that, and I thank God for the Holy Spirit, we talk a lot about the Father, we talk a lot about the Son, uh, deservingly so, but we don't talk as much about the Holy Spirit uh, as we do the Father and Son, but the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. He's just as real as God the Father and God the Son. And the Holy Spirit was in my heart, taking the word that my dad had shared with me, taken the words that the preacher was preaching in the pulpit at my dad's funeral, and he cut my heart in half. And the question that the preacher asked, which is the most important question that anybody could ever ask anybody, 
what you're going to do with Jesus? What you're going to do with Jesus? And I'm sitting there thinking, what would it matter if I win everything and go to hell? I need to be saved. And I really honestly at that time didn't care if I ever fished again. I didn't really care what happened to me. My dad would ask me often if I had peace in my heart and I would lie. I would say, yes, I got peace when I didn't have peace, when I was so miserable, but I would lie. Oh yeah, I got peace. Uh, no, I didn't have peace. And I was dying and I was miserable and I knew I was going to hell. And I got saved at my dad's funeral. And the minute I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, and I confessed to him out of all my foolish pride uh, that I was unable to save myself, that I was in total need uh, of his free gift of salvation, the minute I did that, I had this incredible peace that I didn't even know anything about. I'd lied to my dad that I had peace. <laughs> I didn't have any peace. But I did then. I got that peace instantaneous. <laughs> and it was the most awesome peace. And I still have that 45 years later. It's the most awesome peace in my heart. Uh, I don't like the way this world is politically. I don't like the way things are going in America. But I have complete peace. My hope's not in America. My, my hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not in my finances. My hope is not in my trophies. My hope is totally 100% in Jesus Christ and I have complete peace. <laughs> You're making this easy on me. Just sharing, which is great. I love, I love hearing. You know, Hank, I never, I never tire of hearing. Uh, different people's encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, I could, you know, you can line them up for me over and over <laughs> to hear because, because everybody's story in some many ways is different, but everyone's the same. You know, I told, I told the small group that I lead here at church yesterday, we're, we're going through a series on sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I said, you could take the message of the Bible from cover to cover. And here's the message. It doesn't take a rocket science. To understand here's the message. God saves everyone who will turn to him and say, I need you. God, God will, he's, he's thrown out and made the invitation, as you said, available to everybody. And we're all rascals. We're all messed up, broken, sinners, lost. It doesn't matter what the world says you are. Uh, we know who we are uh, in our hearts. And apart from Christ, you know, we're broken. And so I told my small group, I said, our job is to simply hold out Jesus and say, look what he's done for me. It's nothing, nothing, as you said, Ephesians 2, 8, not nothing that I bring to the table. I can't boast. But who I am in Christ is everything because of what God's done in me. So, man, I, I love that. Well, as we kind of launch to the end, wrap it up, Hank, what uh, you talked about this peace that you have 45 years later. And I know you, um, you're a family guy. You've had a lot of, I mean, You've had probably more success than, uh, you know, most any professional fisher, fisherman or outdoorsman could ever, could ever want to get. Um, if you could summarize in a, in, a, in a couple statements from that moment when you humbled yourself, you cried out to God for him to save you. What, uh, you know, what were some of the ways you saw him work in you? Beyond the peace, how did you see God use you ever and work in your life in the years that followed? You know, I didn't know anything at all. Uh, I knew I was lost and I, I knew I needed to be saved. I didn't intend to make any wholesale changes in my life. Uh, I really didn't know where it would lead. Uh, and as time went on, it, it didn't take very long at all. I found myself wanting to go to church. Now that was pretty weird because uh, you just about had to drag me before, but I, I found myself wanting to go to church and I found myself not wanting to do things that I had previously wanted to do. And all this, the Bible talks about sanctification, all this change took place pretty quick. Uh, I mean, within a week or so, uh, 
every time I would use filthy language, I would be convicted of that. I said, you know, that's not good. That's, that's, that's really foolish. I, I don't know why I said that. And the Holy Spirit started working on me immediately uh, about cleaning up my life, not to be a better person, but to be a more faithful witness and to be more Christ-like where I could have an effect. And I found myself wanting to share my story. And I found myself wanting to uh, see my lost friends get saved. And I wanted them to have the same peace that I've got. And uh, so it wasn't very long into my salvation that uh, I became uh, determined to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And I certainly have not been anywhere near the witness that I should have been. But as I've gotten older and older, uh, I have prioritized my life that uh, all this stuff that we prioritize is rust and dust. Uh, there's, there's no future uh, in the little petty things that we put so much stock in as human beings. Uh, we worry about this and we worry about that. And it's not important. It's what we do for Jesus and the people that we're able to lead. And I, and you say, well, you got to worry about making a living. You got to do it. Look at me. I'm a high school dropout and I've had more wealth. I've had more blessings than, but if I didn't have them, it doesn't matter. What I have got is a savior that's going to welcome me into heaven someday for eternity. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that and the more I want to share that. Uh, Jeff, everywhere I go, everybody's a Christian. And when you start to question them, there are so many people that uh, have convinced themselves just like I did. Uh, some of them are a lot more sophisticated uh, than, than, than my simplicity uh, and my simple methods. But nevertheless, they've not followed God's instruction for salvation, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Uh, they, they, have, they have really felt like, well, you know, I'm faithful. I go to church. I tithe. I do this. But they've really, when you get into it in a deep conversation, say, let me ask you when you were born again. Well, I'm not sure that I've been born again. I'm not sure what that is. Well, have you humbled yourself before Jesus Christ? Have you asked him to come into your life and confess that you are a sinner and that you believe that he died on the cross, that you believe he rose from the dead? Do you believe that? Have you confessed that? If you have, you're saved. If you haven't, I don't care how much tithe you give. I don't care how faithful you are in church and to your family and where you're proud. If you've never come one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ and you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, you're without hope. And that's my concern. That's my message. Uh, that's my testimony. I want people to plug in uh, and, and humble themselves and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And I want us all to be in heaven together because we're going to be there a long time and we'll have plenty of time to share fishing stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess there's a, a phrase people have used that, that uh, you know, God took Peter and uh, he turned him into a fisher of men. And there's no doubt that, uh, that I know you put more stock in the fact of being a fisher of men than a fisher of the fish that are in the open water or the lakes that you, you've been on. Um I love it, Hank, as we kind of wrap up. I love it that uh, pretty quickly that God God kind of turned you into your dad. Now you can understand looking back the change that, that happened in your dad's life. Uh, you know, he, 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 his, he was burdened for you, burdened for your brother. And how, you know, as you say, you know, when you follow Christ, you, you get a burden for the people, for people that you love, people that you know, people you don't know. For them to experience the same thing that you, you've experienced. And, uh, well, you kind of took my last question. You already answered it. Uh, <laughs> usually, usually I kind of ask my guests to say, you know, to someone out there that's listening or watching, you know, if you could look in that 
camera and uh, and look in the screen or the speakers if you're listening and you would say something but you've you've kind of already uh you've already let me stop that you've already kind of given your answer uh you've already declared that if there's anyone listening or watching if you're holding yourself or your accomplishments your good works your church attendance your baptismal or confirmation certificate that's not going to get you into heaven that doesn't cover over your sins and brokenness. It's only through Jesus Christ. And you bow on your knee, as the phrase goes, in the shadow of the cross. And God God can bring that forgiveness and new life. So um, is there anything else as we wrap up that you, you, you would like to share or say? You know, I'd like to leave uh, the viewers, uh, anybody that tuned in. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I talk to people all the time that they say, I think I'm all right. Well, I did this. Well, when I was a kid, I did this. I believe I'm all right. I'd like to challenge everybody to how much time have you spent in knowing that you have followed Jesus Christ's gospel and his instructions for salvation? Don't just think, well, you know, I did when I was a kid. Ask, ask the questions and work out your salvation. It doesn't mean work your salvation. It means know for sure hmm. that you followed God's instructions. Have you humbled yourself before God and confessed? And I encourage everybody to ask themselves the question, have I followed God's method for salvation in my life? And Take it from there because, again, so many people assume, well, I'm a pretty good guy and I've done this. has nothing to do with salvation. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling and know that you know. Well, that's a good word. That's a good word. We're, I tell you what, there's so much more I wish we could have gotten into today. Uh, maybe maybe in the future when we have a a different different side of crossed over we'll have you back on the show but thank you uh thank you for your time thank you for sharing uh this your story of of really is the story of god's amazing grace i know that not a day goes by i'm not um just so thankful that god took um you know i was a, i was a beach bum in south florida you know my stories i didn't i didn't grow up in church didn't know much about god you to say, are you Christian? Sure, I'm American. I'm a Christian. Yeah. And, you know, God, uh, God cleaned out my my skeleton closet. He cleaned out a lot of my baggage, and you know, is is the inspiration of the show. He he too, he took me across that bridge that I drew. He took me from death into life. And uh, brother, friend, I thank you so much for sharing. Uh, what a story! And uh, so, thank you for being on today. Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity to have a chance to share what Jesus has done in my life. And thank you for the platform and, and uh, thank you for all that you do. And it's all about him and we'll have all eternity to talk about it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Until next time. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Thank you. Well, what a, what a time together, you know, uh, I wish we could keep talking to Hank and I would love to hear more and more stories of uh, the impact and change that God brought in his life. And as we close the day, I, I do want to encourage you, if, if there's anything that you've heard, anything that you've um, that you have questions about, um, please feel free to reach me out, uh, reach out to me on the show, reach out to me by email, or if you're here locally with me, reach out. I'd love to talk with you more about Jesus. And um, God can change anybody, no matter who you are, what you've gone through. God can bring that change to you. And uh, and as, as Hank said, work it out. If you have questions about where you stand in your relationship with, with God, if you don't know, um, work it out. Find somebody. Talk to somebody about what the Bible really says uh, about who you are, but most importantly, about who God is. And uh, God has a heart for you. He wants you to come to know him. He wants to restore that relationship uh, with you. So I encourage you that as we wrap up, I do want to give a shout out to uh, friends in uh, Vancouver, Washington, Ryan and Clarissa sit home at the River City Church, who uh, who has a small, small coffee uh, company called churchplantcoffee.com. Uh, they're trying to raise support for their churches and uh, people that love coffee can buy some great coffee from the 
Pacific Northwest, churchplantcoffee.com. Those of you uh, watching on YouTube, if you would click down here and subscribe and continue to help us get the word out about the show. And if you're out on social media, if you would just help listen, like, share, and subscribe to our show, because we've got more shows lined up in the future that I know you'll be encouraged. Well, as I wrap up the show, once again, let me remind you, uh, Jesus can help you cross over that bridge. You can't get across that bridge on your own. And um, if you've got breath in your lungs today, we live in a world that is longing for hope. But if you have breath in your lungs, you still have hope. And I believe the scripture and the Bible is clear. The only hope for this life and the life to come comes in a person. That person is Jesus Christ. And uh, we, we, I know Hank has shared a lot of scripture today, and I share from John 5, 24. And I could share so many other verses like John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so our only hope today is in Jesus. And I hope that you'll fix your eyes and turn your heart and life to him. Uh, it's been a great episode. Uh, and until the next episode, take care.